to uh, continue in my message this morning, and uh, I, I got called out on this uh, over the weekend because I, I did introduce this message last week that we're doing the essentials, okay? The essentials of what it means in the Bible because the Bible's big. How many of you ever feel like the Bible's really big? There's a lot in there. What, what do we need to know? What can we really hold on to and understand? Um, and so last week we, we did that. I had somebody stop me on Friday night and they said, listen, I'm not trying to say you're a liar, but you said that we're going to go through this essential message in three weeks and you only got through the book of Genesis. And uh, so uh, what's the plan here? So we are going to continue. We're going to get through the book of Exodus today. I know it sounds like this is going to take us 66 weeks, but it's not, I promise. Uh, but we, we really are going to try to just go, in, go into this because there are some essential parts of what God has done for us that we see in Scripture that we really need to understand, not just for the sake of knowing, but really, and this is, this is really the heart of this church, please hear me, for the sake of sharing. Because we need to be able to give an answer to the world that's looking for an answer, that's looking for Jesus. We need to be able to speak to these things. I know we can get really caught up in the, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? That would not be the worst thing in the world, okay? Just, just go out there and just, I'm, I'm willing to share, I'm willing to speak, and I'm willing to learn and grow, and what are some of these things that I really need to know if I'm going to do that? And so last week we took a look at creation. God created perfection, we took a look at the fall, we messed it up, and then we look, took a look at the patriarchs, those people that God was using even in the midst of brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I'm still glad that God's using broken people to do his work today, because if it took perfection, the church would have failed a very long time time ago. But out of that, we want to take a look at these next couple steps here, because there are some things that transpired coming out of those moments. And again, we're, we're going through this really quickly, but we're covering hundreds, if not thousands of years of history in the matter of several chapters. And, and so kind of getting our heads wrapped around that can be very difficult. But I want to take a look at what happens after the patriarchs and, and what begins to transpire. How does, how does the, the nation of Israel come into being? So we're going to read out of Exodus chapter 1 this morning. You can uh, follow along in your own Bibles. We'll have it on the screens. Uh, we also have Bibles in the pews that you can read from. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so it's another one that's still pretty easy to find, but would love to invite you to follow along with us as we do this. So Exodus 1 verses 5 through 8, this is what it says. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. This new king comes who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And this is an essential idea for us to look at for a moment here. How many of you realize that even some of the greatest things that God has ever done in history can be forgotten? This is exactly what happens in that moment. God is doing incredible things. He's providing for the nation of, of Israel, taking this, I mean, it's a nothing. You're talking one man, Abraham, who said yes to God, has one son, Isaac, who then begins to grow and grow. And now it says there's an entire multitude of people that are growing out of this. But even when God has been doing awesome things, 
they get forgotten. And eventually what happens is Israel, they become slaves within Egypt. Because the people of Egypt are intimidated by the growth and the things that they're seeing, they actually, uh, Pharaoh goes to the midwives and he says, listen, when you go and these, you know, these Hebrew women are having their children, if it's a baby boy, you need to kill it because this nation is growing out of control. And it's in the midst of that that God does something awesome. Because yes, God creates perfection. We've messed it. God uses broken people. But here's the other thing that's so essential. Whenever the people of God cry out, God answers. When, when people are looking for direction, God gives direction. And this is one of the first things that we see coming out of, of is a, something that will take place time and time again. But God raises up a prophet to do something that only God could do. And, and that man's name is Moses. Have you heard of Moses before? A couple of you? Good. Moses, this great man of God, right? An incredible story. He should have been killed at birth, but he survives. His mom puts him into a basket because she says, the only life I have to offer you is the chance of whatever you find down the road versus what is going on here because there's only death and destruction here. But he ends up uh, being found by Pharaoh's daughter. Talk about a plot twist, right? Pharaoh wants these children destroyed and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And then there's this cycle that kind of starts here where Moses' life is broken down into three different regions uh, or time periods of 40 years apiece okay the first 40 years of um, Moses life he grows up as a prince in Egypt all right he's, he's living in the lap of luxury and then after that 40 years he begins to become aware of what's going on around him he actually murders somebody you're supposed to go huh? we'll try that was off okay let's try it again he actually murders somebody. Whoa, that was good. Really good. That was spot on. We got to work on some of those sound effects. He murders somebody who is oppressing his own people, and it just then ends up having to flee, and he spends the next 40 years as a fugitive living in the middle of nowhere, gets married, has his family, encounters God. God sends him back to Egypt because he says, you've got to speak on behalf of my people, and Moses, doing like any of us would have done, we're like, oh God, you got the wrong guy. I don't, I don't even talk so good. But God says, no, you're, you're my chosen vessel of what I want to accomplish. And Moses goes back, and after spending 40 years as a prince, 40 years as a fugitive, God takes him for the next 40 years and uses him to lead the people of Israel. You know what it says about Moses when he eventually died at the age of 120 years old? That he had not lost any of his strength, nor had his eyesight failed. He was still as strong as he had been as a young man at the age of 120. Who wouldn't like that, huh? You know, I hear people talking about living to be 100 years old. I'm like, I don't know that I want to do that. That's a long time. But, you know, if you can live to, to continue to be in strength and sound mind and all of those things as Moses had been, it was a blessing for him to be able to see that and to do it. But just a few things here in the history of Moses. He was saved from abortion infanticide, right? Um, he was supposed to be killed, and, and he was saved because of the, the people who chose uh, to ignore that, that edict from the king. Raised as a prince of Egypt, he murder, a murderer on the run. He encounters God personally. If you've never heard this uh, portion of scripture before, he's out, he's tending his sheep, and suddenly he sees a bush that is on fire but not burning. Explain that one to people. And he goes up to it, and it is God himself who visits him and begins to speak to him, sends him back to advocate for Israel's release. And then we see what begins to happen in Egypt is the plagues of Egypt. I mean, you've heard of the 10 plagues in Egypt? 
This happens not because it necessarily even has to, because one of the things that we see repeated in Exodus is that God himself hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? This leader, God hardened his heart. Why? Because it was his opportunity to show his people, this vast multitude, that I am greater than the most powerful nation in the entire world. Because that's exactly what Egypt was at that time. The most powerful nation in the world at that point. And God is demonstrating his power. And we see some of these plagues. Uh, we got water that's turned into blood. That would be gross. All right? Imagine you're brushing your teeth and blood comes out. Yuck. Frogs, I gotta be honest, I don't like frogs. My wife will tell you I'm afraid of them. It's not true. I'm not afraid of them, I just don't like them. There's a difference. Okay? Don't you say anything. Oh, just. No, I'm not! Anyway, gnats. Gnats and flies. Can you imagine? What a terrible plague. Just being covered head to toe in gnats and flies. I mean, that would make you go insane. Uh, the disease of the livestock, all their livestock died. Boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn of every household in the region. And one of the awesome things that happened in churches, again, another essential element that we need to understand, that even when Egypt was being punished, God took care of his people. Because they lived in a place called Goshen, all right? And Goshen was within Egypt, all right? It was the place where they lived. But when hail is falling on all of Egypt, Goshen is fine. When flies are invading all of Egypt, Goshen is fine. God provides for his people. And I, and I just want you to hear that this morning, that what else, whatever's going on in the world around you, you don't have to be afraid of when God has got you. Because God can take care of you. And listen, I've made this my own prayer sometimes, and I would encourage you, steal it, adopt it, do whatever you want to do with it. But I've had to pray sometimes, God, give me a Goshen. I need a Goshen right now, a place in the midst of the stress or a place in the midst of all the, the strife that's going on in the world. I need a Goshen that's filled with peace. Will you just give that to me right now, Lord? And, and it's so powerful that God is able to do that. But then we see, finally, the death of this, these, the firstborn, and Pharaoh has had enough. He's ready to release them. We pick this up in Exodus 12, verses 31, then we'll go to 35 and 36. It says, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night, and he says, get out, leave my people, and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. The people of Israel did just as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. And I love this verse, verse 51, chapter 12. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. I love that. Can we just stop for a second here? Because there's a huge contrast we need to understand. We don't want to miss this, okay? The Israelites have been living as slaves for generations at this point. In bondage. People who were born in bondage who will never know anything else other than that. I'm always going to be a slave. My, my father was a slave. My grandfather was a slave. His father was a slave. And his father was a slave. We're never going to be set free. This is who and what we are. But God intervenes in this moment because when we cry out to God, God sends someone to bring about the very things that we need. And he sends Moses. And he takes this. And, and listen, don't miss it. These slaves go to their slaveholders and they say, we're leaving, give us your money. Right? 
And of course, we're thinking, well, we're way tougher than that. I'd be like, get out of here. You're not getting any of my money. You can't even have some of my eggs. They go in and they take them and they take the wealth. And then this incredible thing happens. We're talking about a 12-hour period where generations of slavery ends in this statement. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. Conquerors. They marched out of there like a boss. They owned the place. They said, give me your stuff, we're out. And I just want to speak to that really quickly because I know, you know, there are times when it can feel like the season that you're in or the bondage that you feel like you're in or the slavery that you feel like you're in, it just feels like it is never going to end. Sometimes it can feel like it's always going to be this way, it's going to last forever. Can, can you just please hear me in this? When we cry out to God, he's faithful and it only takes a second for God to change things. In a second, God can take you from a situation that feels like it will never end into walking out feeling like you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And listen, nobody likes to live in that place where it feels like you're losing, when it feels like you're not gaining ground, when it feels like it's always going to be this way and I'm stuck. But just continue to press in because God is working and doing things probably that you don't even begin to see. But this is the exodus, the great escape leaving Israel and getting or leaving Egypt and getting away from the oppression God is once again showering his people with his favor to show them I've got a plan for you I haven't forgotten you I've got a plan for you I haven't forgotten you even though you feel like your your world is dire and broken I've got a plan for you I haven't forgotten you and we see what happens is they go out into the wilderness. They go into the, to the Red Sea. They go right up against the Red Sea. And, and here's something we, we don't want to miss. They didn't need to go that way. They did not need to go that way. They ended up there because Moses refused to ask for directions. I know his wife was like, Moses, I don't think we were supposed to go right back there. We were supposed to make this. Shouldn't you just stop and ask somebody? And Moses is like, I know where I'm going. Right? Can't you just hear it playing out? No, actually it was God who gave Moses these directions. They did not need to go the way that they went. The way that they went ended up putting them in a more perilous situation than they could have gone to begin with. But once again, God wants to display, this is not about you, it's about me. And so they end up up against the Red Sea and God opens the Red Sea and gives them deliverance. The most powerful army in the world at that point is chasing them down. And God, with just one move of his hand, wipes out this nation. Then God begins to provide for the children of Israel. This might shock you, but even after God had done some amazing things, there were some complainers. Can you believe that? Like shocking that anybody would complain about the stuff that God's doing, right? But there were some complainers. In fact, they, were, they might be like the first time in Scripture where we see the concept of being hangry, all right? They got hungry and they go to Moses like, Moses, we have no food, we have no water, and this is terrible. You should have left us as slaves in Egypt. It'd be better to die with a full belly as a slave than it would be to be free and die of starvation. Now, Moses goes and he prays to God, God provides food for them. And I share this a lot because to me it's one of the funnier things that I come across in Scripture. God gives them manna. We hear the, the term manna and we instantly think of bread, right? It wasn't bread. It was little flakes of something. And manna in Hebrew literally is a question. It's not a statement. It means what is this? And they're like, I don't know, but let's eat it. Like that's a bad idea. But that's literally what, what manna means. It's a question. What is it? 
And for 40 years, God continues to feed them even in the midst of the wilderness and sending meat at times as well. Uh, in fact, he tells them on point, I'm going to send so much meat, you're going to wish you'd never seen meat before. I feel like challenge accepted God, but let's, let's move on from that. Provision of food, then he gives them water from a rock. There's something really awesome, and I, I forgot to look up the name of it, but you can Google it and find it. There have been some archaeological studies of the route that may have been taken uh, by the Israelites when they left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, and not too far out from that in this one plain um, in the southern, I want to say, it's no, it's not Syria, somewhere down in there, but they, they found these rocks, okay? And it's just these two rocks that are sticking up out of the ground. And they were one rock at one point, but there's a break right in the middle of them and a, and a crevice between the two of them. And without explanation, these two rocks and all of the rocks around them are smooth as though water has been running over them for a thousand years. And there is literally no explanation to it. They'll look at it. You can find it. Seriously, go home and Google it. They, they refuse to give credit to the fact that like, hey, maybe this is where the water came from the rock. But they look at these two rocks. They are smooth, like water's been running over them. And on the other side of them, it, all the rocks cascading down are all smooth and rounded as though water had been running over them. And there's just no explanation for why these rocks would look like this. God provided time and time again that eventually leads them to Mount Sinai. And this is the point in which God has to begin to speak direction to the Israelites. I've provided for you, I'm giving you direction, but now I need to speak to the broken parts of your life because if we're going to be in relationship together, there are things you need to know. So in Exodus 19, God first speaks this to Israel through Moses, verses 4 to 6. He says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, you know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now... If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God makes this, it's a, a line in the sand moment. I saved you. Remember, I made everything perfect. You messed it up. You broke it. You ended up in bondage because you broke what I created that was perfect, and I'm willing to save you but you're going to have to obey me to do though. Are we, going to, are we going to have that kind of an agreement with one another? And we see the beginning of the law that is given to the Israelites. And again, the law is not meant to actually give the, the Israelites a means of perfect relationship with God. There are 613 parts to this law. Literally, it's not possible for you to obey all 613 of them because it's pointing to the fact that we need Jesus. But God gives us the Ten Commandments, right? How many of you know the Ten Commandments by heart? Anybody know all of them? A couple of you? There's a song I learned as a kid that helped me to like memorize all ten of them. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> so the first one is that God says, I will be first in your life. You will have no other gods but me. And then he says, no idols. You're not going to worship anything else. I'm not going to be second to anything else. Then he says, don't misuse my name. I know that we have taken that a lot of times to be like, well, don't use Jesus' name as a curse word. Yeah, you probably shouldn't do that either, but that's not what he's speaking to here. The, the original language there is this word, uh, shav, and what he's saying is don't make my name worthless, futile, or inconsequential. Don't make my name out to be something that doesn't matter. When you carry my name, it's significant. And if you don't carry my name in a worthy way, you make my name inconsequential. That's what he's saying. He's like, don't misuse my name. The Sabbath observance, we talked about this last week and how much we hate rest, right? But this is right here in the Ten Commandments. Take a break. Honor your parents. 
teens, some of which are mine. That's all I'm going to say. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and accept God's provision for your life. It says, you know, don't covet your neighbor's house or wife or his servants. Uh, Accept that what you have is from God and God has given you enough. Don't be in the place of always wanting more. This is the law. And then this stretches even further into what we call the law of Moses, the Torah, uh, the, the 613 commandments that we read about in Exodus 21 to 24, 31 to 35, all of it points to the perfection of God and the imperfection of man. All of it is saying this, we need a savior. We need a savior. And, and listen, you have heard this before. Maybe some of you have said this in your life. We constantly come back to the place of our own righteousness with this statement, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a fairly good person. I'm a decent person. I do a lot of good things for other people. The goodness of man does not even come close to comparison to what it means to be good in the eyes of God. And that's what the law was pointing to. If we want to have relationship with God on those terms, the level of being obedient is just so impossible, we'll never reach it. And and all of it was meant for this. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Because without the grace of God, we have no hope for relationship with God. It always ends in brokenness. And church, this is where we're going to kind of wrap this up today in in this understanding of the fact that God is constantly working and doing things. He, He made perfection. We broke it. He uses broken people. And when we cry out to him, he answers. He provides. He cares for us. He directs us. And he calls us into right relationship with himself you know God wants to have relationship with you did you know that like God doesn't look at you like a bargain deal all right yeah I kind of want Chris he's in with all the rest of humanity I guess I'll take him too God looks at you specifically and wants relationship with you personally and has worked since the beginning of time to make that possible And this is so essential for us to understand is is that in the midst of our brokenness, God is calling us out of that darkness and into a place of light and right relationship with him. But I really want to, as I'm closing out here, just really speak to this, this maybe a a small portion of us in the room. There was a large portion in in the room in first service, but that portion of us that just feel like I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I'm in the middle of something and I can't get past it. I can't get beyond it. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in your finances or your family, your job. I don't know what it is, but I'm stuck. And and I just want to draw us back to that place of remembering what God did for the Israelites and how I I just want to make it a prayer for you in the midst of what we looked at in Exodus 12, 51, where, where it says that the Lord would bring you out of that situation as a conqueror. That God would bring you out of that situation as a conqueror. Uh, We're supposed to be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who died for us. And that's exactly what God is calling us to. But I realize that I don't know everybody's story in here, but I know that there are times and places in our lives that we go through seasons where it just feels like I'm stuck, I'm in bondage, I'm in brokenness. It's just never going to end. Can I point you to a 12-hour period in Israel's history where they were slaves one morning and walked out as victors the next That's the God that we serve. And I want to point to that as we close out today. So I just want to ask you if you would to close your eyes in prayer. I know we don't have any music or anything like that, but we don't need those things for the power of God to move. 
What we need is to just be in the place of openness between us and God for where we're at right now and the things that we're dealing with. But I just want to lift you up in prayer today. And if you're here today and and you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm in a place where I do sometimes feel like I'm just stuck in a brokenness that I can't get out of. I'm stuck in a bondage and, and maybe even a, so, a sort of slavery to something that I feel like I just can't get out of. And I want to believe that God can take that brokenness and turn it into a one day I walk out as a conqueror. And if that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and it is it's part of that human condition where we get lost in that. But I want to believe that by the power of God, there's a morning where I'm going to walk out of that situation as more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And that's what I want to experience in my life. So I want to pray for you. And I know there are a number of you who raised your hand, but I just want to pray right now that that is the victory that God would begin to bring in each and every one of our lives. And so, Lord, I just lift up my friends in here and those who are watching online at home, God. And I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just speak encouragement into their ears. Remind them, God, that you are close. You're right there. You see them. You haven't forgotten them. You haven't forsaken them. And Lord, for some of them, the trials and tribulations they've been going through, they feel like they've lasted forever. Some of it feels like it's just never going to end. And I pray right now, God, that as we look back in history at this essential moment in time where where your children, God, were in bondage one day and walking out as conquerors in the next, God, that we would have the faith to believe for that same power to move in our lives, God. And Lord, I just pray for victory to be released in every one of my friends' lives, God, that as they turn to you and as they're waiting on you and trusting in you and just hoping in you, God, that that morning would dawn for their lives where they stand up and they walk out and that brokenness becomes part of their past. Lord, that that failure becomes part of their past, that bondage becomes part of their past and that they're walking in victory and seeing you do incredible things, God. And Lord, we thank you that you're the only one who could do that, and we lean into your faithfulness to do so in our lives. God, lead us out as more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, because that's what you died for, was to save us from the brokenness of ourselves, the brokenness of this world. You overcame by the blood of Jesus, and Lord, we want to stand in victory with you, and I pray, God, that you'll speak that into our lives and into our hearts and into our futures, Lord, as we move forward. And God, we give you all the glory. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, church, can I just remind you, Satan wants you to feel every day like you'll never make it. Can you just remind him in that moment, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, and God has good in store for me. Well, Lord bless you. Love on each other and encourage each other. If you're visiting, we'd love to meet you out in the foyer, uh, but love on each other and give glory to God as you go today.